Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at candeochurch.com. So I got a little bit of a hot tip for you. That gents, if you've yet to get a Mother's Day card for your wife or mom, if you go to the store and they're sold out of the cards up front, I know this is true at least at Walmart, uh, but if you, if you find out that the cards are, are out there, there's this section like further in the back kind of by the birthday card section where I found like these ginormous cards. They're like, like you open them up and my wife disappeared behind it yesterday. It's like one of those like, dude, go big or go home, right? You know how much it was? Three bucks. I bought a smaller one because that was like the big one was from the kids and the smaller one was from me. And my smaller one was $4.59. I'm like, how does that work? So if, you, if you're looking for something and they're all sold out on that, I'm just trying to just look a little bit harder. Know that there's a guy back there with a the door. You just say, Cody sent me and he'll open it up. I'm <laughs> kidding. I'm kidding. But look for the big cards if you need something today. Those are the absolute best, absolute best. But hey, I want to start this morning as we open up to Proverbs uh, by establishing some common ground here. And I think this is pretty safe territory as as I start out here. But here's what I believe. I believe that everyone wants to be happy. Like, I think it would be really strange if later today I'm walking down the sidewalk just asking people to say like, hey, you want to be happy? To run into somebody who goes, no. Not interested. And I'm not happy about that either, you know? I would walk away from it and be like, geez, I wonder whose neighbor that is. And some of you are like, that actually might be our neighbor. Right? Everybody wants to be happy. Right? As a, as a people, as a nation, we care so much about happiness. We're so committed to happiness. We actually wrote it into the foundation of our nation. Within the Declaration of Independence, this is listed as one of the three unalienable rights. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Everybody wants to be happy. And that's not a bad thing. In fact, I believe that this desire for happiness that's within us was put in us by God. And this may be the most surprising thing yet, God wants you to be happy. Now, why do I say this? Why do I start off with this? It's because as we open up to the book of Proverbs, which is the most famous wisdom book in the entire Bible, I want you to know as we begin to read these words that the end goal of Proverbs is not that you would be smarter. That's not the end goal. But that you'd be happy. Here's what I mean. Proverbs 3 says this. Happy is a man who finds wisdom and who acquires understanding. Or Proverbs 8 says this. And now, my sons, listen to me. Those who keep my ways are happy. Listen to instruction and be wise. Don't ignore it. Anyone who listens to me is happy. Watching at my doors every day, waiting by the post of my doorway. For the one who finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But the one who misses me harms himself and all who hate me love death. Or Proverbs 24 says this, Eat honey, my son, for it is good. And the honeycomb is sweet to your palate. Realize that wisdom is the same for you. If you find it, you will have a future and your hope 
will never fade. God's desire for us is that we would be happy. But sadly, we can buy into this lie that God's desires for our life and our desire for happiness are at odds with each other, that they're conflicting somehow. That's just not true. The biggest issue here really is not on God's side of the equation, though. It's on our side. Because left to ourselves, we are, especially when it comes to finding happiness, we are clueless, absolutely clueless. And we should have recognized this by now. We should have recognized that more time to relax is never going to make us happy. That more sex or another Google search isn't going to be the answer. That the divorce that you're pursuing is not it. That the social cause that you're giving yourself to is not going to change anything and make you happy. And this dream vacation that you're planning, that you've been planning for years and saving up for, is not the answer either. We're clueless when it comes to finding happiness. Because we often fail to recognize that happiness is only found when we are living within God's design for our lives. And honestly, what many of us need is like a happiness palette reset. Here's what I mean. Not many of us have made like our afternoon plans and included in these afternoon plans as a plan to pound as much broccoli as we can possibly handle. Right, no one just like throws it out there like, hey, what are you doing this afternoon? I am looking forward to a huge plate of broccoli. If you're that person, we're probably not friends and we'll never be friends. <laughs> like nobody looks forward to that. But here's the weird thing. As much as I hate broccoli and would way rather eat cookie dough ice cream all the time. The weird thing is, is that if you ever fast, if you've ever gone like even a meal without food, it's funny, all of a sudden broccoli starts to like seem more appealing. Because what happens when we fast, it actually begins to reset our taste buds a bit. It begins to reset our palate and it begins to redefine what is delicious and what isn't. And honestly, when it comes to happiness, we need the exact same thing to happen in our lives. And that's what Proverbs is aiming for. It's what it's laboring for is to redefine where is true happiness found and we need it. So as a church where we say our mission statement is to help people find their greatest joy in Jesus, this is absolutely the perfect book for us to open up to. And in a world that is desperately crying out for happiness, what Proverbs would say is actually there's a desperate need for wisdom that will lead to true happiness. And so as a people that are dead set on finding our joy in Jesus and on people that are looking for happiness in a world that is crying out for happiness, Proverbs is an incredible book for us to open to. And so if you're with me, I want to open up to Proverbs chapter one. We're just going to do verses one through seven as these verses just kind of set the stage for this entire book and will set the stage for us and where we're going to go for the next 14 weeks. So let me read Proverbs one, verse one. And I just want to read just verse one here quick to get started. Verse one says this, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. 
Immediately here, we are introduced to Solomon, who's one of the main contributors to the book of Proverbs. But we're introduced to Solomon, son of David. Maybe you've heard the name David before. Solomon's father, David, he's a pretty big deal. Probably the most famous figure in all the Old Testament. If you think David, think of like David and Goliath. Think of the shepherd boy who became the great king. Think of the man who had said of him that he was a man after God's own heart. Like that David, big deal, David. When David dies, he passes his crown on to his son, Solomon. And one of the first things that Solomon does when he becomes king is he offers up to the Lord a thousand burnt offerings. And then later, God will come to him in a dream and he'll say, Solomon, ask and I'll give you whatever you want. It's that whole Aladdin moment, right? You stumble upon the the genie jar, right? Guys, we know this, right? If you are given the option of picking out one wish, like you get one wish and whatever it is comes true, what do you wish for? A million wishes, like we all know that. Well, Solomon doesn't do that. He does something better. But he realizes that he's young and inexperienced, so he asks for wisdom to serve and lead the people of God well. And this is what happens, this is 1 Kings 3. Now it pleased the Lord that Solomon had requested this. So God said to him, because you have requested this and did not ask for a long life or riches for yourself or the death of your enemies, but you asked discernment for yourself to administer justice, I will therefore do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and understanding heart so that there will has never been anyone like you before and never will be again. I think this context is helpful because as we read these first words of Proverbs 1, verse 1, that say the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, it's good to remember that Solomon's wisdom never originated with Solomon. Solomon's wisdom never originated with Solomon. They came from God. His wisdom came from God. And so as God gives Solomon supernatural wisdom, and now through this book, we are able to read and understand we have the opportunity to receive supernatural wisdom. That's not originating from Solomon. But God is the source of all wisdom. And the way that God, writing through Solomon, then writes out this book, the book of Proverbs, is he writes in Proverbs. This this concept of of Proverbs is not totally foreign to us. I mean, we, we have Proverbs that fly around in our world, our day. I grew up on a farm, and so one of the classic lines that my dad would use often, maybe you've heard this proverb before, is, many hands make light work which I think was just his way of like leveraging the family out of the house and out to work. But it's like, dude, I didn't sign up for this. And you get the whole speech about the roof over your head and the food on your table and all that. Fine, okay. But we've heard that one before, like many hands make light work. Maybe you've heard this one before. Cleanliness is next to godliness. How many of you have used that one before? Like throwing that out in your household. How many of you realize that's not in the Bible? Yeah, all the hands went down on that one. He's not going to admit that. Like, no, I know my Bible well enough to know that's not in there. You know, though, it's not in the Bible. As much as those of us who are clean freaks would like it to be, that it could add a little bit more weight when we throw it around the house with the kids. 
But that's another proverb. Like, that's just like, like proverbs that we, we throw around. The point of a proverb is that it's, it's just a simple, sticky statement of wisdom. It's just a simple, sticky statement of wisdom that's supposed to just like kind of like connect into your mind real easy and stay with you. So God writing these Proverbs through Solomon makes it abundantly clear as we move from verse one into verse two, why were these Proverbs written? And here's why. These Proverbs were written, verse two, for learning wisdom and discipline, for understanding insightful sayings, for receiving prudent instruction in righteousness, justice, and integrity, and for teaching shrewdness to the inexperienced and knowledge and discretion to a young man. And now watch how it just changes a bit from kind of a purpose statement to an invitation now. Verse five, let a wise person Listen, it's like it's pulling you in. Let a wise person listen and increase learning and let a discerning person obtain guidance. For understanding a proverb or a parable, the words of the wise and their riddles. These proverbs are meant to shape every aspect of our lives. Every aspect of our lives. From the way that we think the Proverbs are meant to shape the way that we think. Just underline some of these key words in verse 2. For learning. Later in verse 2. For understanding. Later in verse 5. For discerning. The Proverbs are meant to shape and refine the way that we think. For sure. But it doesn't end there. The Proverbs are also meant to shape the way that we act. Guys, in simplest form, our lives are really just the sum of all of our choices. And we are surrounded constantly by the need to make choices and decisions. And honestly, in life, especially now, it just seems like there's so many options out there. Always out in front of us. Always kind of pulling us this way or that. And when it comes to making decisions and making choices, it can be overwhelming. Choices regarding marriage. Who to marry? What should we do in our marriage? What should we do when we have conflict? Not even just conflict in marriage, but like conflict between friends. Like, what do we do with that? What about work? How should we approach work? And should I make this choice regarding work or this choice regarding work? The choices regarding friendships and even choices on how to like be good friends to somebody. Like life is full of choices and decisions. And the aim of Proverbs is to help you make great decisions. It's to help you make great choices. Proverbs is meant to shape the way that we think. It's also meant to shape the way that we act. Verse 4 highlights this, I think, in particular, when it says, teaching shrewdness to the inexperienced. Another way to translate that verse there is teaching insight or foresight to the simple, to the gullible. What he's trying to do there is he's saying, I want, to, I want to teach you these things so that you can have enough foresight or insight to see the traps that are in front of you. That if you get on that path, this is what's going to happen, and I want to help you avoid it. And so, Proverbs is meant to shape the way that we think and the way that we act, the choices that we make. But Proverbs is also meant to change what we value. 
This book before us is meant to change and refine our moral compass. Verse 3 says, for receiving prudent instruction in righteousness, justice, and integrity. There is no part of us that Proverbs should not touch or shape or affect. So the two questions I want to answer with the time that we have remaining are just simply this then. What is wisdom and how do I get it? What is wisdom and how do I get it? First off, what is wisdom? I want to make sure that this is abundantly clear. So look at me, make eye contact. Guys, wisdom and knowledge are not the same thing. Knowledge is a critical step in getting to wisdom, but they're not the same thing. Often when we hear the word wisdom, what we'll think about is years and experience, or if we hold wisdom and knowledge too close together, we start thinking about like GPAs and the degree that's hanging up in that person's office or the letters that follow their name. That's the stuff that we start thinking of when we put it too close together. When we're talking about knowledge, knowledge is focused on understanding. to know something. Wisdom is different. Wisdom focuses on application. It's not just enough to know something. You don't get wise because you know something. You're wise because that knowledge is bearing good fruit. That Hebrew word behind the word wisdom is the word chokmah. It literally means the skill of living. And we're talking about the skill of living here, obviously in the context of scriptures, it's not just the skill of like living any which way that you want, it's the skill of living for God. Wisdom is recognizing that we live in God's world, that he created it and he designed it in certain ways and wisdom recognizes that it's wise, it's good, it's right to live within God's design for the world and God's design for my life. That's wisdom. And so if I had to make just a simple statement as far as like a definition for wisdom, it would be this. It's just the skill of living for God and the realities of life. That's what wisdom is, the skill of living for God and the realities of life. I added that phrase, in the realities of life, because life's tricky, man. In my teenage years and in my 20s, I, I used to think that like life was very black and white, right, wrong, all of that. But as I've aged a bit, I've begun to realize not everything really is black and right. And often when we are confronted with challenging decisions, sometimes the same course of action can in some ways be right and in other times be wrong. Here's what I mean. Proverbs 26 is like a classic example of this. Maybe you've read Proverbs before and this has caught your attention. I'm going to try to clarify this for you a bit. This is Proverbs 26. Tell me if this isn't confusing. Verse 4 says this, don't answer a fool according to his foolishness or you will be like him yourself. You read that, you go, great, okay. Don't answer a fool according to his foolishness or you'll be like him yourself. Got it. A fool comes at me, I'm not responding. Got it. Verse five, 
Next verse. Answer a fool according to his foolishness, or he'll become wise in his own eyes. You're like, what in the world is going on? Like you reread that a few times and go, okay, there's a contradiction in the Bible. Found one. But the reality is, this is the challenge of wisdom, is that sometimes the right course of action is verse 4, and sometimes the right course of action is verse 5. And that's why you even need wisdom on how to apply the Proverbs themselves. Because the complexity of life, the realities of life, sometimes mean you respond to a fool, and sometimes mean you don't. And a person who's wise understands the difference and knows which courts of action to take. <laughs> Wisdom is the skill of living for God in the realities of life. And I love this quote that came out of our elder circle here a few weeks ago. Where it was said, Wisdom isn't what you know, but who you are. Wisdom isn't what you know, but who you are. And I think when you start to pull these words apart of wisdom and knowledge and begin to see them separately, you can really honestly look at the Cedar Valley and go, okay, we're a university community and we've got like a gazillion engineers. I believe that's the literal number of engineers that we have here in the Cedar Valley. And so you look out at our community and go, yeah, we're smart. It's a very knowledgeable community. But not many are wise. Not many have the skill of living for God and the realities of life. In fact, if I could just put it very bluntly, church, there's a lot of smart idiots out there. And if we're honest, there's a lot of smart idiots here. I'm pointing to one. We can be the type of people that like we, we know we know what we should do, but applying it, that wisdom part, the ability to make godly choices now based off that knowledge, that's the trick. That's the trick. And so now I want to move because there's something beautiful here about wisdom because I want to move from what is wisdom to how do we get it? Because the beauty of wisdom here, church, is that you don't have to be smart to get it. I don't care what your high school GPA was or if you dropped out or how many like intro to library classes you failed. Like you don't have to be smart to be wise. And second, the other thing that's beautiful about wisdom is that it's attainable. It's not hiding from you. In fact, in Proverbs 1 verse 20, wisdom is personified as someone who is going through the public places crying out to you trying to get your attention, trying to get you to look their direction and to take hold of wisdom. And so you don't have to be smart to get it and it's attainable. Here's the trick. Here's the key that unlocks the door for wisdom according to our text. You ready for this? If you want to be wise, the key that unlocks the door is humility. Verse three, see the word receive? Are you willing to receive from God? Verse four, talks about teaching. I'd ask you this, are you willing to be taught? 
I don't care how old you are. Wisdom doesn't look at that. A wise person is willing to be taught, willing to receive. Verse 5, is willing to listen, to learn. Are you willing to receive? Are you willing to be taught? Are you willing to listen? Are you willing to be humble? Proverbs 11.2 adds, when arrogance comes, disgrace follows. But with humility comes wisdom. It takes years to acquire wisdom, years of listening, years of receiving, years of correction, years of challenge and receiving rebuke, years of humility. If you want wisdom, that's the path you got to go down. That's why I think here it becomes abundantly clear that this is the great barrier to wisdom for us. Because I don't think our biggest issue is that it's a knowledge issue. I think our issue is a submission issue, a submission to the wisdom of God issue. That's why whenever I'm walking through like a hard counseling situation, and I'll sometimes just say this very plainly to the people in front of me. Sometimes it's just the outline in the back of my mind as we're having a conversation. But I always come in with two questions, pretty simply. Number one, Do you want to know what God says about this issue? And two, do you want to do what God says? If you're a connection group leader, you might want to write those down. Because as you're shepherding people, those are two very important questions that you can ask. Do you want to know what God says about this issue? And two, do you want to do what God says? Here's what's interesting. In nearly all the conversations I have, counseling conversations, When we start answering the first question of, do you want to know what God says about this issue? The answer is yes, and we'll talk through it. It becomes abundantly clear, and often they'll just state it. They'll be like, I know what God says about this issue. Go, great. Do you want to do what he says? That's always the sticking point. Often, we know what to do. But it's that submission issue that's the sticking point. That's where the rubber meets the road and it gets too much for us. And I just want to warn you here as we open up Proverbs, and now we'll do this for the next 14 weeks. Guys, Proverbs, and I'm speaking to my fellow smart idiots out here. Guys, Proverbs is like sitting down at a coffee shop and having a one-on-one conversation with Jesus. Each week when we open up God's word to Proverbs, It will be exposing and we will be directly challenged every time. (laughs) That's why I think one of the best ways I heard Proverbs described in all of my prep for this morning was when somebody described Proverbs as like the James of the Old Testament. Because what James is primarily concerned about, which is what Proverbs is primarily concerned about, is just the genuine outworking of our faith. If you're going to claim to follow Jesus, it's got to look like something has to look like this. And it gets very practical. It gets very specific. And my prayer over our church as we start into this Proverbs series has been very simple. Just that my prayer is that as God's word goes out, that it begins to search the room, that it would find soft soil. What is the condition of your life this morning? What is your posture as you enter the room? Are you 
desperate to receive? Are you desperate to be taught? Are you desperate to listen and to learn? Recognizing that we are by nature fools and we're clinging to the wisdom of God. Is that your posture? But we know that we want wisdom and we understand now what it is and how to get it, at least a barrier to getting it. So where do we begin? And if I could just scribble into your Bibles, right over verse seven, I would put this word or this phrase, start here. You wanna know where wisdom begins? Start here, verse seven. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline, but the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. This is one of the most famous verses in Proverbs because it's repeated over and over again, not only in Proverbs, but through the rest of our Bibles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. As we continue to walk through Proverbs week in and week out, you're going to notice two paths will emerge. The path of wisdom and the path of foolishness. And you'll notice that the same path then, not only the path of wisdom and foolishness, but it's also the path of righteousness and wickedness. And then you're going to find out that those same paths are also the paths of the upright and the paths of the evil. And you're also going to notice that it's also the same, that this is the path of happiness and this is the path that leads to ruin. All those things are synonymous. You're going to continue to see that brought up. And fools, they despise wisdom and discipline because they reject God and they reject God's design for their lives. They push him out. I know better. I can find happiness, but I don't want you telling me what to do. You're some cosmic buzzkill, some divine Debbie Downer, if I could use the old SNL skit, right? But God's not that. He's laboring for our good. Proverbs is laboring for our good, laying before us these two paths and saying, fools despise wisdom and discipline, reject God, and don't want him in their lives. Wisdom, this path, if you want to head down that path, here's where it begins, with a fear of the Lord. And that word beginning doesn't just purely mean like in sequence of order that this is the first step. It goes beyond that. It is both priority and it is also foundation. Wisdom is found in starting with the fear of the Lord and staying in the fear of the Lord. To move forward and to try to pursue wisdom without it would be like trying to bake a cake without the cake mix. You throw the eggs in, the oil, some of the water, and you start mixing it up. You throw it in the oven, and what do you get? And I eat a lot of things. I ain't eating that. I'd rather eat broccoli if I could go back to the front. It's the same way. The Proverbs by themselves do not make a person wise. It's actually one of the reasons why I wasn't necessarily myself excited to jump into a Proverbs series because honestly, most of the time I hear the Proverbs get used, it's written in some book about how to have better business practices and to make money and do different garbage like that. Guys, the Proverbs are not able to make a person wise by themselves. The cake mix, the essential ingredient is the fear of the Lord. 
The, the word fear, just to be clear on this, because it's, it's hard to find a good English equivalent of the Hebrew word there and how, like, what translates over. Because when we think fear, we think of like cowering in a closet when there's an intruder walking through our house that we don't feel safe with, right? But the word fear here, it, it's got these two beautiful aspects to it. It has both this aspect of reverential awe that draws us in and a trembling that makes us fall back at the same time. Like when all of a sudden you become aware of who God is and his greatness all of a sudden begins to get elevated and you begin to see God for who he is and you begin to understand who you are in light of that. You begin to feel this gap between who God is and there. The word to describe that gap is fear. It's what Psalm 211 says that we serve the Lord with reverential awe and we rejoice with trembling. If you want to look for a verse that has those two phrases in it. That's what fear is meant to look like. That's what our lives are meant to look like. If you want to seek wisdom, we must seek God. And where does God then point if we seek his wisdom? God points very simply to Jesus. Colossians 3, 2, in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Matthew 12, 42, speaking of Jesus says this, that the queen of the south will rise up at judgment with this generation and condemn it because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And look, something greater than Solomon is here. The Proverbs can't make you happy. But what the Proverbs will do time and time again is to point to where you should put your happiness. And in our day and age, when there's so many things passing for wisdom, so many people walking around acting like they know what they're doing, that sadly, if you walk out of this place and begin asking people for wisdom, they'll share it with you. And one of the things that frustrates me so much is when people will walk out and they're looking for a particular answer, you can go out there and somebody claiming to be wise will tell you exactly what you want to hear. And they will reinforce everything that you already believe and everything that you want to be about and everything you want to do. But only Jesus has the words of life, words of wisdom, and the words that truly lead to happiness. And what we need to do is let his word reset our lives, recalibrate, realign our lives. This is what Jesus said at the end of the greatest sermon ever given in the Sermon on the Mount. He said this, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house, yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act like the, on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house and it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. God, I pray as I've been praying and will continue to pray 
that as your word goes out, that it would find soft soil in this room. That Jesus, we would recognize that we are fools by nature, desperate for the wisdom that you provide. Because my heart, my friends, and everything around me is gonna reaffirm things that are not true, are not right, are not wise, do not labor for my good, are not for my good. But there you are, God, laboring for my good. Putting the paths before me, warning me of one and directing me toward the other, Jesus. I pray that we would be a church that hears, that listens and learns. Thank you, Jesus, for being the wisdom of God for us a stumbling block to the world, but the hope of our lives. Jesus, we love you. Thank you. Amen. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.